0: Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Christianity is not a solo endeavor. It's a team sport. We can't do it on our own. We need the church. Teaching team member Caleb Click continues the series, Worship Together, with this sermon entitled, We Worship Together for Spiritual Formation, which covers Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11-16, chapter 5, verse 19, and Colossians, chapter 3, verse 16. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today.
1: This morning, we're going to be digging into Ephesians, chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians, chapter 4. We'll be looking at verse 11, uh, and we'll be asking this question. A question that I'm sure many of you have wondered about before, and it's this, why in the world, why is it that for centuries Christ's people have gathered together to worship together? You know, it's a question that in our modern world, with our focus on the individual as an authority to themselves, that we are more and more uncertain about. We are more and more questioning, well, why do I need other people to speak into my life? Why do I need to be a part of a local body? Why do I need to be together? Can't I just do this on my own? Why in the world should I gather to worship with God's people? Ephesians 4 starts to give us the answer. Paul is speaking to a congregation full of people from every walk of life. You have former religious leaders and former prostitutes. You have people who are on the lowest rung of the social ladder and people who are on the highest. You have Jews and you have Gentiles, people that are slaves and people that are free, males and females, all of them worshiping together. And what Paul has told them is this, in Christ Jesus, you are now one. The things that divide you in the world, they have no place among the people of God because Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, he has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. You are saved by the same grace. You are heirs of the same inheritance, partakers of the same Holy Spirit, and beloved children of the same Father. But then he goes on and says this. That's not just something that you should know in theory. That's something that you as God's people must embrace as reality. He says at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There is now one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and God's people they are to live together as though that is true. And then he says in verses 7 to 16, here is how that actually happens. The one who has saved us, the one who entered into the brokenness of this world and died in our place for our sins, He has not only been raised, but he now sits at his father's right hand as a victorious king. And he dispenses gifts to his people. That the many would be made one and the broken would be made whole. And in verse 11, he mentions gifts of a very particular kind. Gifts that give us an answer to that question of why it is that we gather together. Here's what it says, starting in verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning, would you take your scripture, and Lord, would you unfold its depths to us through the power of your Holy Spirit in such a way that we would see and behold the glory of your son Jesus and be transformed into that same image. Would you do this now in Jesus' name? Amen. Whether you and I are aware of it or not, Every morning when we wake up, we are being formed into certain kinds of people who love certain kinds of things and who live in certain kinds of ways. I'll give you a few examples of what I mean. If you don't know already, I'm the father of a proud father of a horde of little girls. And, and my girls, if there is one thing that you would discover very quickly if you came into the click house, it's that they love Disney princesses. If you were to pull into our cul-de-sac on any random night of the week, more than likely, you are going to see one of those girls wearing a, a weather-inappropriate princess gown and running around in the cul-de-sac, a, a gown that, because it's been loved so well, is literally falling apart, but they won't part with because it's precious to them. Uh, we have a trunk full of dresses like that. They have princess coloring books, princess movies, the, the twins, Lucy and Alice. They've requested, specially for their fifth birthday party in February, that this princess named Elsa make an appearance. If you are unaware of who Elsa is, I'm so happy for you. Um, <laughs> I know very, very well who Elsa is at this point. They adore princesses. But, but here's the thing. That love didn't come from Mallory and I. Uh, we are not people who particularly love princesses. I mean, my house growing up, it was male-dominated. You were much more likely to watch a John claude Van Damme movie than you were to watch a Disney princess film. Uh, that was my upbringing. And so the things that I love, you know, if we think of it as parents, what do our kids love? Well, they love what we do. Uh, princesses weren't something I loved. Princesses weren't something Mallory loved. In fact, when we found out we were having girls, Mallory and I had a conversation. And one of the things we said was this. We want to make sure that this whole princess thing, which is so big in our culture, it is not something that gets pushed on these girls. (laughs) We don't care. If they grow up to love them, that's totally fine. But it is not something that is going to come from us. Well, guess what happened? We had little girls And all of these people who loved us started giving us things. We had gifts to celebrate their birth. We had hand-me-downs coming from cousins. And with those hand-me-downs came a trunk full of princess dresses. And with those gifts came princess toys and princess movies and princess coloring books. And something remarkable happened right in front of Mallory and I's eyes. My girls, through no direct input of my own, My girls were formed to be certain kinds of people who loved certain kinds of things and lived in a certain way. And how did that happen? Because that was the world in which they lived. Do you realize that every single one of us is being formed in just the same way? That's not just something that happens to little kids. It is something happening to each and every one of us every single day. It's what happens and is happening to you every night when you go home and you turn on the TV and you put on Netflix or the news, and you begin to watch shows or uh, television things that are communicating certain images and certain ideas to you every single night. It's what happens when you climb on your Peloton in the morning, and not only are you basically worn down to a shred of yourself, but you're also told by the instructor over and over again that you are the only thing that stands between you and what you deserve, which is a gospel, just not the true one. It's what's happening to you every single day when you walk into school or you stand at the carpool line or you walk into work and you see people wearing certain kinds of clothes and driving certain kinds of cars and drinking certain kinds of drinks and talking about certain kinds of things. It's what's happening to you as you mindlessly scroll through social media, looking at image after image and post after post. We are all, every one of us, by all of those things, we are being trained, formed, to think there are certain things that are beautiful, certain things that are good, certain things that are desirable, and certain things that are not. And those things and a million others like them, they are forming us into certain kinds of people. The scriptures, the scriptures speak to that because Jesus, he would have us formed into another image, not into the image of this world, which leads to death. Which leads us to desire things that will not give us life. That will ultimately leave us empty and broken and hurting and wounded. But instead he would have us conformed into the one image that brings us life. And that is his own. But here is the problem. If we live in this world where as fallen human beings we are Literally drowning in things that would shape us into images other than Jesus Christ. We need a place. We need a school. We need something to happen, something to be given to us through which we can be formed into the image of another. We need a gymnasium for the soul. Where we not only are beholding the glory of Christ over and over and over again, that as 2 Corinthians 3 says, we would be transformed into that image. We need a place where we are being trained bit by bit, day by day, to put off the old self and to put on the new one. Where we are being taught by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. What Ephesians 4 says is Christ, he has given us just such a gift. And it's the church. And when we gather together, we gather not because it's something we think is fun to do or because it's something that's just culturally part of our tradition. We gather because Christ himself says, here is where I form and shape and renew and restore my people into my image. We gather to be formed because Christ says, I work through the ministry of the word and through the ministry of the body." To make the many one and the broken whole. You see it right here in this text. We gather as a people under the ministry of the word because Jesus says, That is where I work and transform my sheep. Christ works through the ministry of the word. I mean, look at verses 11 to 13. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, Paul just laid out four distinct ministries, but all of them have this one thing in common. Every single one of them is a ministry of the word. You have the apostles and the prophets. These people who have seen the risen Christ and been sent by him to make the revelation of God's saving work in Christ known to anyone that who will listen, men whose work, Paul says in Ephesians 2, serves as the foundation of the church. So much so that if you go to a church that doesn't have the apostles and the prophets as the grounding beneath your feet, that church is not a Christian church. And it is that foundation that you have right here in your Bibles, this is the ministry of the apostles and the prophets. It's what you have in the word of God. He says there's another group called the evangelists. These are people specially gifted by God to proclaim the word of God's salvation in Christ and to invite others to share and to partake in that gift. But then he mentions one last group. A group that's given two descriptive phrases but is really referring to just one thing. The shepherds and teachers. The apostles and the prophets, they pass away. And they leave to us their testimony in the scriptures. The evangelists, they invite people to Christ, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be hanging out with them for the rest of your life. But the shepherds and teachers, those are men called and gifted by God, like Titus and Timothy in the Bible. To live with local congregations and to feed Christ's sheep, not just once or twice, but week after week, month after month, year after year, and to minister to them how? Through the teaching of the word of God. Why is it that we gather together as God's people? Why has Christ given us this gift? That we would stand on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, respond to the call of the evangelists, and sit under the ministry of the shepherds and teachers that God has given to us. He's calling us to regular worship under the ministry of the word. And he says, here's why Christ has given this gift to you. To build up the body. In verse 12, Paul says, God, Christ has given us this this gift, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. You know, that word equip uh, in, in our modern parlance. I mean, it has this very specific connotation in most of our ears. You know, when I hear the word equip, I think of something like what I experienced when I was a golf course maintenance guy in college. I would show up to the golf course and the first thing I would do after I was told my job for the day was I would go in the tool shed and I would get equipped with whatever tool I needed to do the job. Usually a weed eater and a mask and then some warning about snakes in the creek. That's not what Paul's saying here. Our gathering together is not so that Jesus can give us some tools that we can then go and use in our lives somewhere else. What's being communicated here is something more. The word translated here is a quip. It's a word that you see in its verbal form in the Greek that has a variety of meanings. In Matthew 4, it's used of repairing a fisherman's net. Of taking this net that was created and designed for a specific purpose but had been broken. And then fixing it so that it could fulfill that function once again. Uh, In Hebrews 11, it's used of God creating the heavens and the earth and then forming it and shaping it as he intends it to look. Uh, In Galatians 6, it's used of restoring fallen sinners to spiritual health. Here's... What I think Paul is communicating here, it's the ministry of the word. It's not just a ministry that gives us tools. It is a ministry that takes us and makes us new. That restores what sin is broken. So that what God created us to be, image bearers of God. And what he has redeemed us to be in Christ, image bearers of God would be what we truly are. And as those made new, we would then use the gifts that he has given us for the building up of the one body of Christ. Why do we gather together? For the same reason that when you break a bone, you go to a doctor. Not just because you want the pain relieved, but because you want the bone set so that it would heal and you would be able to use that bone the way it was intended to be used. When we gather together in corporate worship, you are never a mere observer. You know, it may feel that way. There may be Sundays where you show up and you sit down and you feel like you're watching a bunch of stuff happen, but you don't really feel any sort of transformative change. But what the word of God tells you is that every time you show up, And you sit under the ministry of the Word, God in Christ Jesus, He is doing a transformative work in your heart and in your life. Through the Word, He is taking broken hearts and making them whole. Through the Word, He is speaking to our specific places of sin and brokenness and announcing to us the good news of His forgiveness through the Word. He is awakening us to the deceptions that so fill our ears and our eyes in this world and he is saying, here is the way that you should go and here is the way that truly leads to life through his word. Christ is doing the one thing that we need more than anything else. He is giving us himself so that we would not be like the world but instead like him. And through our gifts, Diverse as they are, the one body would be restored to health. And what Paul says is that gathering under the ministry of the word to be remade into the image of Christ, that is something that we need, not just in the beginning of the Christian life, it is one that we will need until the day Jesus returns in glory. Look at what it says in verse 13, until, meaning we're not there yet, We all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's saying this is an equipping that we need until Jesus comes back and He makes us one in full, until He makes us those who are filled with the fullness of the Son of God. Which means you never outgrow the church. You don't ever get so spiritually mature that you don't need to come and worship with God's people anymore. And if you think that, that actually means you have descended into immaturity. Maturity brings you into the body of Christ and unites the body of Christ. Immaturity means you walk away. And why is it Jesus wants us to do this? For the same reason he came and died for us. Because Jesus loves us. You know, it doesn't say that explicitly in this text, but that's the implication, isn't it? Jesus knows that left to our own devices in a world where we are awash with this tidal wave of formative influences, all of them wanting to form us not into the image of God, but into the image of idols, that we need a place where we will find refuge for our souls, but not only that, where we will be grounded and rooted in the truth of Christ. He loves us. And as it says in verse 14, he doesn't want us to be like children who were tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He wants us to see and see clearly. He wants our affections ordered properly so that we would love the things that give life and hate the things that bring death and our lives will be conformed more and more to him. You know, I, <clears throat> I geek out about a lot of stuff. If you've ever hung around with me, there are certain things I get very fired up about. I get fired up about Georgia football, which has been a great year, by the way. Uh, I get fired up about movies like Dune because I'm a sci-fi nerd and I like those things. I also get really fired up about something that is probably going to make you go, what in the world? I get excited about Calvin's view of worship, like really excited. Because Calvin, when he looked at corporate worship, here's what he thought. The gathering of God's people, in Calvin's eyes, that is the formative engine of Christian discipleship. It is the hub around which everything else spins. And the reason he thought that was this, he knew, something I think we are prone to forget, that God created us to worship. And he created us to worship himself. But here's the problem. Because of the fall, we keep worshiping. The problem is we worship the wrong things. And what is it that scripture tells you? Whatever you're worshiping, that is what you will become like. You become what you worship. And so if we are a people who because of the fall, we are blind to the truth about God. And we cannot find the full truth about him in our own power or strength. We need him to reveal himself in Jesus Christ and in his word then we are fools if we think we can gather together and just worship according to our own desires. Because what will we end up worshiping? An idol. And whose image will we be formed into? The image of an idol. And so Calvin, Calvin said, if we want to be formed into the image of God, then we need to worship him only as he has revealed himself to be in his word. Which means when you gather to worship, here's what it should be. It should be grounded in, governed by, and saturated in the word of God. Because it is in the word that we get Jesus Christ. If you went into Calvin's Geneva and you decided to worship one Sunday, it would probably feel weird. You would walk in and you would be called to worship by the word. When you started to sing songs... Every single one of them would be, guess what? Not even hymns or songs based on the word. They would just be straight scripture. You sing the Psalms. When you confessed your sins, they were confessions based upon the Word. You had heard the Word read, you would have heard it preached, you would have heard it prayed, you would have seen it in the sacraments proclaimed to you the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Every element that made up the service was only there because Calvin could find it and you guessed it, the word. When you looked at the structure of the service, it was intended to take you as a worshiper into the story of God's redeeming grace in Christ and to call you to a response, a story that you find where? The word. And here was Calvin's vision. It was that as we worship in the sanctuary, As we come again and again and again under the means of grace through the ministry of the word, people whose hearts have cut into them more deeply than they know the grooves of sin, desires and passions for things that will ultimately kill them, they would have those hearts remade by the work of the spirit and God would dig the grooves of grace instead. So that those who worship in the sanctuary would then be those who worship in the world and who flood all of God's creation with his glory and praise. People remade in the image of God. It's beautiful. And the reason that I love it is because I think, I think that's the teaching of scripture. It's what Paul is talking about right here. And there's two things Two things that I would say here. One, this should change what you look for in worship. You know, when I first came to Christ, if, if you were to somehow dig it out of me, what I was looking for, I don't know if I could have named it. And you ask, Kid, what is it you're looking for in a church or worship service? I, I would have probably told you this. I want good music. I want a compelling preacher. And I want to feel something. Now, there's nothing wrong necessarily with those things. But are should those be the central things you're looking for in a worship service? No. In fact, those three things can be absent, and it can be a far more transformative experience. What kind of things should you be looking for in worship? You should be looking for a worship service that is grounded in, governed by, and saturated with the Word. Where Christ alone is exalted, where sinners are called to repentance, where in everything that is said or sung or prayed or seen, you are being presented afresh with the one who gives life in Jesus Christ. That's what we should be looking for. The second thing I would say is this. Uh, There is a major movement in our culture. I've heard it a million different times that we don't actually need the church that we have the scriptures, we can read them on our own, we can go and do life on our own, and that is just fine. And, and I would challenge you if that's you. Because I know that may sound like wisdom, and I know that makes sense, may make sense in your mind. But while it may sound like wisdom, it is not the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Do you think you are wiser than him? Jesus gave us this gift, to build up the body of Christ because he loves us. And while it may sound like foolishness, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. If Christ calls us to it, we should receive it as the gift that it is. As Calvin puts it, the church is the common mother of all the godly which bears, nourishes, and brings up children to God, kings and peasants alike. And this is done by the ministry. Those who neglect or despise this order choose to be wiser than Christ. Woe to the pride of such men. Christ gathers us together under the ministry of the word because it is through the word that we are transformed. But he also mentions here in this text one thing more we are also transformed through the ministry of the body because Christ works through his people. You already saw this in chapter verse 12, to equip the saints, that's all of us, for the work of ministry, meaning the individual gifts that God has given us for the good of his larger body. Those are needed. Well, he picks up that same theme in verses 15 and 16. He says, rather... Speaking the truth in love, we, all of us, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The growth, the growth comes from Jesus. Christ is the one who makes us grow up. But did you notice the means? It's the body. Our gathering, it is not incidental to our spiritual formation. It's not something that just happens because, you know, we had to gather together to sit under the preaching and the ministry of the word. That gathering is actually an essential part of God's design for our renewal as human beings. You want to put it in four words. We need each other. If you've walked with Christ for even a fraction of a second, you know this is true. I mean, I look at my life and over and over again, I have been ministered to by brothers and sisters in Christ who have spoken the truth to me in love. Sometimes people who told me really hard things because they loved me. I remember in college, a guy I was discipling, who was not someone that I expected to be rebuking me, by the way, um, he sat me down one day and said, Caleb, I think you use your social awkwardness as an excuse not to love people. Now, that hurt because he hit two things I didn't want to talk about. One of those is I don't like being seen as socially awkward, which he saw. Uh, I think I've improved, maybe. Ask Mallory if she can tell you. But the second one is that he could tell that I struggled to love people. And here's the thing, he was right. He was dead on. I needed him to say that because I couldn't admit it to myself. There've been other times where I have known that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, but for some reason, I just could not believe that one of those sinners was me. And I've needed brothers and sisters in Christ to sit across from me and look me in the face and say, Caleb, Jesus loves you. And his work, it is for you. You are not forsaken. You are not alone. You are not some exception to the rule. If Christ came to save sinners, guess what? That's good news. It's what Paul is speaking of later on in verse 25 when he says that we are to speak the truth to each other. But I want us to notice something. There is definitely as Ephesians 5:25 or 4:25 makes clear, this call to individually speak the truth to each other. That thing I just described happening to me, that's not actually what Ephesians 4:15 is talking about. Because he's not talking about individuals there, is he? He's talking about the body. It is the corporate witness of God's people confessing the truth about Christ out of love for him and love for each other. It is the sounds of God's people reciting the confessions of the faith, reading scripture, proclaiming scripture, the songs that are being sung in all of those things that unified witness of the body of Christ somehow mysteriously through his spirit, Christ ministers to his people so that we would grow. Uh, you see it in Ephesians five nineteen. Paul tells us this thing that seems counterintuitive to all of us. He says, when you sing songs, you aren't just singing them to God. You're addressing each other. He says the same thing in Colossians 3. He gives this whole long spiel about putting off the old and putting on the new, which should sound familiar having just read through Ephesians 4. And then he brings it to its end in verse 16 by saying this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let Christ have his way in you. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. And how is it that we teach and admonish one another? How is it that the word of Christ dwells in us richly? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Christ uses for reasons I don't understand, but he tells us that he does. He uses the witness of his people together to grow up his body. You know, I remember at my old church, the church I was at before I came here, my pastor, George Robertson, he would say this thing all the time. He would say, When people come to me and they tell me they're struggling with depression or with doubt, the first question I always ask is this. Are you regularly gathering with God's people and receiving the means of his grace? Because if they are not, then the very first thing I would say they should do is to start doing that. Now, he said that not because he thought there weren't other reasons for depression or doubt, because there are. He said that because that's what the scripture teaches us. If you are living apart from the body of Christ, you are deprived of one of the chief means through which Christ would grow you up and nourish you and care for you. It is one of the means that Christ would pour out his love upon you through the power of his spirit. You know, I've experienced this. You know, I grew up, I shouldn't say I grew up, but over the course of my life, and I've shared this before, depression has been a part of my story since the fourth grade, It's been something that has come and gone depending on the season and it's something that has remained with me even as a follower of Jesus Christ. But here's something that I have grown to appreciate. In those moments when I feel at my lowest, when I feel as though I am by myself and the hope is gone, I can come into the sanctuary and hear the praises of God's people and though my faith is weak, Christ through the stronger faith of those around me, he lifts me up. And he reminds me that I am not alone. I am not forsaken, but I am beloved and cared for. And he does it in and through the body. We don't get that when we're apart. You know, we're in this really weird season where for a long time, we worshiped separate from each other. And then we came back together and came into this really weird season where people seem to be fighting more frequently than they did before. I don't think that's disconnected. We aren't meant to worship alone. Now, are there good reasons from time to time for that to happen? Yes. Some of you may be at home for very good reasons. But I will tell you this. There is something that happens with the gathered body of Christ that cannot happen through a television screen. Because Christ intends his people to be together. Because how can we become one if we are living apart? We live in a world That is awash with influences that would form us into the image of something other than Christ. But Jesus Christ, the savior of sinners and the seeker of lost sheep, he has given us in his church a gift a place where we can gather under the ministry of the word and through the ministry of the body be remade into his image where we learn to put off the old and to put on the new and as people from every walk of life more and more become one in him. As Calvin puts it, we have no greater help than public worship for by it God raises his own folk upward step by step. It is the means of grace by which God bears us up as if in chariots to his heavenly glory, a glory that fills all things with its immeasurableness and even surpasses the heavens in height. May we as God's people embrace that help as the precious gift that it is. Amen. Gracious Father, we ask Would you take this service, everything that we have done, Lord, the praying, the singing, the preaching, the reading of scriptures, everything that is here, Lord, would you use it. Would you meet us with yourself? Would you transform us into your image? And as we worship you here, would you send us out as those who worship you in spirit and in truth? Would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.